Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Sometimes you know that you have to talk about things like the ever-increasing numbers and the, and the worry about what might be coming down the tracks for us. And we will, we will. But, but sometimes you just need to open up with a story that I was coming in this morning in the car early and I just did a little fist bump. I just did, like, against the window. The guy said, yes, yes, that lovely little kid, Cleo. What a brilliant story from Australia. I mean, there was experienced cops were crying with joy when they found this little girl. Just phenomenally good story from Western Australia. Cleo Smith, her name. Uh, she was missing in a place called Carnarvon, which is also a, a Welsh town. But police got a tip-off on Tuesday, and she's now been reunited with her mom El and dad, Ellie, and Jake, and the police commissioner in Western Australia was practically crying on the mic as he gave a statement to the press. She's been missing for for more than two weeks. She went missing on a camping trip with her mom and dad. Uh, 18 days later, they found out what an incredibly happy story uh, to to wake up to this morning because people were watching that way with that little girl we found. Will she be found alive? Will she be found at all? Just great story from from Australia. Proves to you that good police work is good police work wherever it happens in the world. Of course, the numbers are worrying us here and we will come back to that. 3,726 yesterday. Now, when we used to do the numbers, very frequently on the programme, you could often get a blip on a Tuesday. Just the way they do stuff, the way they report, the way they keep the records and roll over the records, you could get a blip on a Tuesday. So we kind of hope against hope that it was a blip and it'll go down again today. But still, they're too high. Um, Michal Martin says they're very concerning, but he's still kind of saying he can't guarantee that restrictions won't be reintroduced. But look, y- you have to get nervous at this stage. It was out last night, a bit later on. You have to be nervous that we could be facing into restrictions again. You, 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 you have to, unless something turns and something turns quickly. So all that and plenty more to come. I didn't get to, we had a complaint about bins and the collection of bins uh, and, and bins 
not being collected properly, shall we say. I'll get to that uh, in, a, in a wee while. But first of all, I want to talk to Lisa, uh, Dr. Lisa Murphy, who for the first time has gone public uh, about the battle she's facing with eating disorders. And what I mean by for the first time is Lisa has been speaking under the uh, cover of anonymity to the Echo, to Anne Murphy, for a while now. And she's done some interviews without her name being used. Uh, But she's now gone public. And also she's gone public because she's in a desperate situation and she fears that unless she can get into a bed and get inpatient treatment, she she will die. Uh, that's that's what she's facing. Lisa, good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks so much for having me on. Delighted and congr- you know very brave of you to come forward Thank and you. reveal your name. I know you've been talking to Anne for for quite some time. So, what is the situation with you, Lisa? Um, I suppose you know. God, this has been going on now. Oh God, God, twelve years, I suppose, maybe longer, and it's just really particularly the last couple of years it's it's just gotten to a point where um i it, it is life or death and i just can't access the the level of intensive intensive support that i need so you know i've been offered kind of you know 20 sessions of counseling um once a week and um given how severe things are i just feel i need something more intensive but unfortunately the resources aren't there um, so I just feel at this point I need to um, to just come out and try and raise the funds to, to get into a residential treatment programme. Mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about the, the problem, how it started, how it manifests itself, mm-hmm. what your life is like? Um, I suppose it started, you know, kind of teenage years, you know, being body conscious the whole lot. And um, I just one day thought it might be a good idea. I'll actually never forget it. I just thought it might be a good idea. I felt a bit too full. I thought it might be a good idea to make myself sick. And at the time, it felt like a bit of a revelation. You know, I kind of thought, this is great. Um, And it's just, it's honest to God, morphed into something now that is, it's bigger than me. Um, And, you know, every single day now, I, I, you know, I'd, they call it purging. I would make myself sick like well over 50 times a day. I'm financially ruined because it, it costs so much money to buy so much food. And I've had to, you know, kind of stoop to very, very low behaviours and, and harm myself in ways that I didn't even think were imaginable when this all started. And my body, to be honest, is just not functioning really at this point. And um, I just feel the only chance I have at overcoming it is if I have kind of 24 hour care for um, mm. the 12 weeks. Is it that um, you feel you need to be in a care surrounding because yeah. you've now, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but yeah. is it that you now feel, Lisa, that you no longer can control the condition yourself? Absolutely. Um you know, on the GoFundMe page, um, my friends linked to a document that I wrote that is kind of just a description of a typical day. And that's exactly what it is, PJ. It's 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 really out of my control. You know, sometimes... Mm. Do you want to outline that for listeners? Things. Just give a little summary of what yeah. your day is like. I suppose, you know, I'd usually try not to eat anything. And then it would kind of start off at about 11 or 12 o'clock. I'd 
just feel the this kind of overwhelming compulsion um, sink in. And I basically then spend the rest of the day going, getting multiple takeaways, going around to different delis and kind of fast food places and just eating and getting sick in public toilets. And then um, I, I can't, I'm totally um, kind of uh, abusing laxatives. I, I take an incredibly dangerous amount of them. I, you know, sometimes when I, I try to get myself to just break the cycle in, in at, at a time during the day, so I'll either try and just go into bed and, and stay there so, to, to try and keep myself safe or I'll, you know, go home or I'll, you know, I'll just try to not do it. And it's a it, it's as if I'm kind of under another person's control or something. I just I just end up doing it anyway, even Sometimes I'm crying to myself, like asking myself to stop and I just can't and I, I don't know how to control it anymore. It's just after getting to a point where it's it, it doesn't even feel like me that's doing it. It feels like somebody else and that I'm just kind of going along for the ride. Do you know, it's like as, as we speak, Lisa, it's 14 minutes past nine. How yeah. long will you last before it starts again? Um, I, most days I last um until about eleven or twelve o'clock. Um, some days I'll I I I I'll be able to resist eating until about two or three or four, but then it starts off again. Um, and it just keeps going. Sometimes I'm there till two, three a.m. in the morning. Sometimes I'll wake up at five o'clock in the morning and start at that time. It's it's really just out of control at this at this point. How do you even function? I on I honestly don't I really don't know. I think um you know like you'd find that a lot of people with eating disorders were very um were perfectionists and we care a bit greatly too much about what people think about us. So um we just tend to just drive on in hopes that people won't know that anything's wrong um and that people will think you know that we're you know I suppose competent and and good people and I think that's a big driver for me as well is just you have a PhD for goodness sake you know you're a yeah you're a competent good person you've you've achieved a lot in your life you know this is this is heartbreaking listening to you because here you are young and articulate we don't know each other but young articulate bright talking to me Mm. so normally and knowing that in a couple of hours, this situation will again be out of control. Now, yeah. the one thing you don't have, Lisa, is health insurance. And look, there's no one going to insure you when you have a, a, yeah. a condition yeah, exactly. like this. So that means yeah. you're limited. To how many beds in the public system for for people like you in the whole country? Three. There's three public beds. Um, the whole country? And... Wow. Yeah, in the whole country. And I, I honestly, I've lost count of the amount of consultants and, um, you know, people on mental health um, care teams that I've I've cried to, I begged to to get me in somewhere. And, and the response is either usually um, that I'm not, um, um, you know, thin enough really is, is kind of, you know, they tend to, to, they give a certain number, which I won't repeat just in case people are listening, but sure. you know, that your BMI has to be a certain, at a certain level. Um, but they'll only admit you at that point to kind of force feed you. That, that still isn't even kind of one of the inpatient beds. Um, and you know, another consultant told me they don't actually refer people anymore, that that's a thing in the past, which is, is not true because the beds are there and people are occupying them. Do you know, um, I think mm. to be honest, I think, you know, most people I've come across in the public sector, you know, they're good, really good people. They want to help. Um, they're just, 
in a system that's terribly underfunded um, and they can only do what they can do, you know, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately there, there are only three beds. And Lisa, is it a case that if you were in a bed, three in the country, that's mm-hmm. just outrageous, but if if you had were in a bed today and, and as I said, it's quarter past nine, that yeah. whatever time the urge comes upon you, you mm-hmm. can reach out to someone and the help is there to get you through the hour and through the next hour yeah. and through the next hour. Yeah, that's it. So my, like, I have such an incredible group of friends and, and family and they actually took me out there last week to the centre that I'm hoping to to get into. And, um, you know, I was speaking with the clinical nurse there and she was showing me around. They were amazing. And she was just saying that, you know, when I'm in there, um, there at any given point there are is about kind of eight to ten staff whether they be nurses or psychologists or dietitians that they're all in there there's always people there um to help you and that it's it's, it's actually a beautiful center it's 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 more like a very big house as opposed to kind of a clinical um mm-hmm. residential facility you know um and the the whole emphasis really is on wellness and just supporting people to to break mm-hmm. to break the, the the cycle you know because my body just won't take it anymore really yeah you've been how many admit how many times have you have you been brought into the emergency department in the last while oh uh, the last year it's been at least seven but um you know some of that was kind of um mental health crisis and that sure. you know i i just I really just got to a point this year. I just I didn't want to live at all, really, because this was the only exist. This is the only existence that I know, um, mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's it is so horrific every day. Um, you must be doing awful physical to damage on. to your body. Yeah, I I really it's it, you know I'm I'm 31 now, and it's only kind of the last couple of years that that's really become apparent. Um, my teeth are like, you know, some of them are, are just broken. Um, you know, my digestive system is just doesn't really work. I don't get periods anymore. Um, I'm always just very weak and exhausted, always full of bruises um, just from the things, you know, how, how I would treat my body. Um, so it's just not a great, it's just not a good way to live. And I... And the heartbreaking thing from me listening to you, Lisa, is that you were totally conscious of the damage this is doing to you. That's the incredible thing about eating disorders is that, you know, I'm very aware of what I'm doing to myself. I'm very aware of the repercussions. I'm, I'm under no illusions, you know, of how severe this is, but I just can't stop. And if that doesn't kind of indicate how how out of control it is that the fact that I know all of this and I still can't stop. I don't know. I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of, because it's the only way I know how to live. It's both kind of my best friend and my worst enemy. I, I like, I don't know how I will actually be able to live in the world without it, but I know that it will kill me one way or another, whether or not I, you know, it's by my own hand or whether or not it's my body just packing in, it'll be one way or another and so I need to just try. Well, well there is a third family. option and that's get you into that private bed yeah. so that they can yeah. work, work their wonders with you and, and by all yeah. accounts they're brilliant at what they do. So that's why the GoFundMe yeah. was set up. Your friends have done that. Yeah, they're, in, I've, I'm incredibly lucky that I've, I, I, I really can't emphasise enough how amazing my um, friends and family are. Um, 
so they've set up the GoFundMe and it's been up and running there now for about 14 hours and I think it's doing really well. I'm kind of half afraid to check it, um, but I think it's doing really well. And, you know, my friends and family are like pushing as much as they can now because they've seen over the years, you know, I've been very able, well able to hide it, but they've seen, especially kind of the last year, they, they've really seen a lot more than they've ever seen um, because I'm just not that able to hide it anymore. Yeah. So um, they've been really, really incredible. Yeah. All I can do Lisa, is keep my fingers crossed for you. Not just, not just that yeah. you'll achieve this and get in there, but that you'll get through today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, from what <laughs> you're telling me, I mean, here we are having a perfectly rational adult conversation yeah. at 22 minutes past nine, and, and I'm, 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 I'm actually finishing up with you now, knowing in my heart that in maybe two hours you'll be in another cycle that you don't want to be in and yet you can't control. Yeah. Yeah, it really the only way I can describe it it's as if someone else is kind of um I'm like a puppet. That's the only way it feels really for, for people to understand it's like I'm like a puppet and someone else is is doing this to me as opposed to me doing it to myself. Like that's how out of control it is. And like if there's someone with you say when the urge comes, friend, mm-hmm. family member, like can anything that they do Help you um, unfortunately not like I've I've lost like I, I, as I said I'm very lucky to have an amazing group but I've lost an awful lot of friends over the years to this um, just you know I've you know one of my best friends in the whole world I, I couldn't go to her 21st birthday I barely made her wedding <laughs> um, you know like this it's cost me an awful lot um, and, and, and like for people it's cost me an awful lot with people as well because I will do any, uh, this comes first before anything else and anyone else. It's, it's the most important thing in my life. And I don't say important as in a good thing, do you know? Um, but I, I, I tend to, you know, I've never had a really, like I'm 31, like I've never had a serious relationship. Um, I've, you know, there's so much, I've, I've done a lot and I've been incredibly um, lucky with the opportunities that I've had, but I've missed out on an awful lot as well. Um, so I'll, you know, I, I always make sure that this comes first, regardless of if I'm with people or not, I'll, I'll, I'll exit any situation. And it's the, it's the rational, calm way in which you tell me that is what's actually yeah. shaking me to my core. Yeah. I'm very, very, yeah. very touched by this interview. Lisa, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Okay. And if people want to donate, I would be so incredibly grateful. Okay. Well, look, we, we'll share it. And it's called uh, Help Us Help Our Friend Lisa. Lisa, good luck with thank what you. happens over the Thanks next so few much. hours, the next few days. And you know what? I'd love our next conversation to be after your treatment. Yeah, hopefully. You mind yourself. We'll have a quality of life. <laughs> you mind yourself Thanks and do so the best much. you can, all right? Thanks, BJ. See Thanks you, Lisa. Bye. Okay. 1850 715 996. Lads, we think we have problems. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Focus what you mean, got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live. Powered by...
by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. That GoFundMe again is help us help our friend Lisa. If you need help yourself, and a lot of people might need help for themselves after listening to that very, very brave interview. The HSE has an eating disorder self-care app, which you can download. Bodywise.ie, which we've had on the programme a few times, bodywise, W-H-Y-S, dot I-E. There's an email, alex at bodywise.ie. There are some changes in their helpline uh, during the pandemic. Evening times, Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, 7.30 to 9.30. And Saturday, daytime, 10.30 to 12.30. Their helpline number is 01-210-7906. Email alex at bodywise.ie or talk to your GP. And isn't it an absolute disgrace that with thousands of people affected in the ways that Lisa is affected, there are three, three beds in the public system. Three. For a population of what? There's nearly five million of us. 1850-715-996. Big news yesterday about bus services in Cork. They are to improve dramatically, so we're being told. I've spoken many times on the programme myself about how lucky I am where I live, uh, the we're served by two exceptionally good bus services. And I'm thinking to myself all the time, everybody should have access to this. I, sh- I can walk across the road, walk 100 yards to get into town, and when I get out of town, I'm dropped literally 30 yards from my front door, and because I live on the 220 route, that is round the clock, and I think everybody should have that kind of a public transport system in 2021. Hugh Cregan is Deputy CEO of the National Transport Authority and joins me on the Opinion Line. Hugh, big news for Cork. What is coming? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. So yesterday we we announced a set of proposals for a new bus network for Cork. And we, we, we hope to give to more people the kind of service you, you, you've mentioned there yourself, that more people can actually find a bus more useful than they currently do. So there's, uh, we, we reviewed the network from the bottom up. We took a complete fresh look at it, uh, uh, took account of the way Cork is growing and the way it's going to grow over the years ahead and tried to design a network that both fits the needs of today and will fit the needs of tomorrow. Mm. So overall, it's a, it, it, it will provide a big increase in bus services. There are areas that aren't covered now that will be covered by bus service. There are increased frequencies and other routes. And overall, yeah. we're, we're looking at about a 36% increase in bus services, which is very, very significant. And the plan is to get people's feedback on the proposals. We, mm-hmm. we, we know we haven't got everything right. It's very hard to design a network for a large city uh, that requires, it does require a lot of local input. And that's what we're looking for now. So. Uh, out of this consultation, we hope to refine the network into a final set of proposals yeah. and implement them over 23 and 24. Like I, I mentioned the services that I'm lucky enough to have, but then I took many calls here one morning recently from people in Glenmire and that general 
sector of the city and suburbs and they've nothing. So, like, you know, in order to give everybody the same, there's a lot of work to be done, Hugh. There is, and uh, it, it, it it just isn't possible to give everybody exactly the same and what you're trying to do is trying to balance uh, the, the, the needs of uh, the, the size of the population in certain areas and, and the type of service that's going to be needed. So Glanmire, for instance, we know it is underserved at the moment, so under the, the new network, and I should have said all the details are available on uh, busconnects.ie if mm. people go there, they're able to get the details. But Glanmire is, is one of the areas where we've added in substantial additional services there to cater for the very fact that it is a growing area. Yeah. I know it's the NTA that decides on what routes are to be done. So give me some layman's insight into, into how, you, how you decide. Do you look at population? Do you look at who lives, that, as in the, 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 the moving population and the permanent population? How do you decide whether we're going to increase uh, service? Okay, so it's important to say this isn't just an NTA design. We couldn't do this by ourselves. So we brought in some specialist international transport designers, Jared Walker and co. But more importantly, we, we, we uh, involved Bus Aaron, who, who run the current bus system in Cork and know it intimately, along with personnel from Cork City Council and Cork County Council. And essentially the way we, we gathered up a lot of information and the way the network was designed was we, we effectively locked ourselves into a virtual room for a series of workshops over seven days and line by line, street by street, turn by turn, figured out you know, what was the growth potential in that area? What, what Can we run a bus on that road? Uh, can the bus make those turns? And line by line, the network was, was developed. So it took account of uh, both the expert knowledge that 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 uh, the transport specialists bring to it, and the local knowledge that the the city council and the county council and bus Aaron have mm. about what are the needs of the areas, and more okay. importantly, how are those areas going to change in the future, and what will their needs be in the future? Now, the work on this will be done now and throughout the first quarter of 2022, with the new services set to come. I think in 2023. So, at what stage, Hugh, will we know what? Cork is to get, as in where the services will be. So what we're looking, what we've done now is published everything for for public review and public feedback. And out of it, we're we're sure that we don't have everything perfect, and there are things that will need to be revised based on that feedback. Our intention is get that feedback, and the consultation runs to the tenth of December. Right. Get that feedback and refine the network, and then early next year, uh, I'm talking about quarter one of next year publish the final network uh, and so that people can see it and then we become the we, we begin the large job of planning its implementation because transitioning bus services is no simple thing and, and it will take time to yeah. actually plan it change drivers rosters uh, mm-hmm. get additional vehicles and all the things that need to go into that so that's why it'll take us from that point until 2023 when we start yeah you also uh, mentioned that what you're going to be doing over the next while is is also kind of a preparation for the arrival of lewis in cork have you any idea when that might happen hugh at the moment, we're at the early stages of the Lewis design work. So at the, currently, there's a lot of work going on to pin down the exact route that Lewis will follow through the city uh, and out to Balancolic and out to Mahan. And it's intended that, uh, again, early next year, 
a, a proposal, we describe it as an emerging preferred route. So a proposal for that Lewis route will go out on public display and again get feedback. And during next year, the final route will be then will be then selected and finalised. Okay. After that, it will take uh, planning of these large projects do take a number of years. Oh, we know how long it took in Dublin, so it ain't going to start. It ain't going to start in the next two years anyway. Put it that way. Oh no, it's not definitely not going to start in the next few years. It's just not physically possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a few years away. From You're probably the, looking at ten years, right? Really, five to a ten. Five to, to ten. Funding. I, I think it will take about five years to get full planning consent for it. Put it like that, and okay. then it's down to is the funding there to build it at that stage. All right. Listen, we'll we'll, we'll talk again in the future. Busconnect.ie is where people can find uh, the details of the plan. Thank you very much. That's. Uh, uh, where's my my sorry, my screen has frozen here, guys. I'm so sorry. Uh, there you go. That's uh, Hugh Creek, deputy CEO of the National Transport Authority. Now, also in the last few days, word from the National Bus and Rail Union was that though they are seriously considering industrial action because of antisocial behaviour on buses and trains. And there was a, I don't know, was it a veiled threat or an actual statement of fact that we could be facing bus and train disruptions at Christmas if antisocial behaviour isn't clamped down on. Uh, Dermot O'Leary from the National Bus and Rail Union. Hi, Dermot. Uh, morning, PJ. No, yeah. I know, look, time is precious. Can I just say, just, I, I got the end of the interview with you, um, Cregan from the NTA there. Can I make just one or two very quick points, if you don't mind? Sure. Uh, people sure. that uh, listen to me talk about transport for a long time won't be surprised at what I'm going to say next. First of all, uh, the MBIU, along with, uh, will work with Cruz and Cork, as we did in Dublin, uh, looking at the Bus Connects program. The Bus Connects original program in Dublin was a disaster for Dublin. Uh, thanks to lots of community groups and political organisations joined by the MBIU, we were able to remould the bus connects to what it is not going to be in Dublin. I suspect we'll have to do the same in Cork. But okay. look, we'll, we'll see. But that said, the last uh, piece of the conversation on the Lewis, and I suppose I'm on record as saying that you have a better chance of seeing Elvis Presley at a venue near you rather than seeing a Lewis and Cork anytime soon. And I'm, I'm sticking to that prediction. Uh, and that's not just being negative for the sake of being negative. That's just based on experience. Um, what well, we know how long it took in Dublin, to be fair. It took forever. Uh, look, 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 PJ, listen, you and I would probably be long retired by the time any tracks are laid anywhere, if at all. But can I just say that the Portland government has a commitment in there on bus rapid transit, which is really effectively in Lewis on wheels, which has its own segregated roadway, and it's used in many, many cities across the world. It's the third of the cost of the Lewis, and more significantly, it's delivered within, I would suggest, one election cycle, because politicians love talking about light rail and heavy rail. It takes years to deliver, but it gets in many, many election cycles, knocking at your door and my door. Please walk me to the way coming to your, to your parish. So, right. so anyway, that's the thing to me. Yeah, let, let's go to this possibility. And I, I, I'm reading reports, so Dermot, you'll put me straight as you always do. Is there a possibility that buses and trains could be off for Christmas because of work stoppages over antisocial behaviour? Well, the first things first, let's, let's separate the issues. First of all, the, the issue that's in the media spotted over the last few days is in relation to antisocial behaviour on our railways. I've been on your show before discussing that and indeed antisocial behaviour in buses and particularly in the Cork area. You know, at any time, just, just people understand there is a protocol, a very recent protocol, agree with bus here in the event of antisocial behaviour in any area, buses can be withdrawn. So that's an ongoing protocol, if you like. So that could happen any day of the week. But in terms of the industrial action you refer to, is to do with Irish Rail and, and the, the problems on the rail line uh, well chronicled, you know, uh, last week, um, my letter to the, the company, um, uh, copy to the T-shirt, Minister of Transport and Minister of Justice. That's how serious we view it. 
and we accompanied that letter with 28 different, um, you know, testimonials, the testimony award from from staff, and and there were horror readings. I heard them. Yeah, absolutely shocking. So look, I suppose there are many strands to this PJ. There are many stakeholders involved in this, you know, not least yeah. the, the shareholders. But the stakeholder the that I'm looking at, Dermot, is is my listener who might want to get a train to absolutely Dublin or Mallow or Cove. Yeah, so are exactly they going to be affected? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly why I mentioned stakeholders. Just have a role to play here and put pressure on politicians to try and resolve this. But the reality is this. There's an unsafe work environment. That's why we're prosecuting the dispute with the employer directly, even though there are many strands of it. So in the event that nothing happens, you know, tangible happens or, you know, anything material that affects or that can clamp down if you put it on anti-social behavior, unless something happens in that space, by the time the battle is finished and if a mandate is forthcoming by the end of this month, then undoubtedly we have no choice but to serve an order of stoppages in the run into Christmas. Now, and I know the life and trade union officials, me included, that we don't want to go on strike. This is one of those ones that it's cry for help from the people that walk on the front line. That's what this is. Okay. This is not a pay dispute in the normal way. Listening to an interview the other day with the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, he didn't seem to share your view at all that there's need for transport policing. Well, look again. I, look, I, I hate to say this because I know him and Ryan reasonably well at this stage. You know, and you know, I like the man. I like what he's about. But certainly in terms of this one, he's probably out of touch because both ourselves and more significantly the Garda representative bodies would support fully a division of the carry to deal exclusively with public transport. I would suspect that the minister, you know, was so busy last Friday launching a rural transport initiative, which is to be welcome. And he went on, you know, national radio saying that was the story of the day. Unfortunately, and it wasn't by design, the story of the day last Friday was the appalling uh, attacks being visited upon our frontline members. That, that was a big story. And that's where the minister needs to concentrate on. Listen, governments don't react too easy to the likes of me asking for something. But at the end of the day, it's not me asking. It's the people that work on customer service roles on our, on our public transport. Well, what you're very extent. clearly saying to me this morning, Dermot O'Leary, from one Corkman to another, another, as it were, if something isn't done to satisfy your members over the next number of weeks, it could be difficult for me to get a train to Dublin around Christmas that's, time. That's the reality. But again, look, we, we will move on by the main, as they say, to try and not for that not to happen. But my first job is to obviously expose what's happening out there. Uh, listen to the demand of members. Five five years on the go with this particular campaign, we dropped leaflets five years ago across the whole public, public transport system with the hashtag enough is enough. And that, that is actually what our members are saying, PJ, enough is enough. It's reached tipping point. It's gone beyond the customer experience or the customer service experience that they wanted to go and, you know, enjoy with the customer has become walking the gauntlet now on a, on a daily basis. And again, it's a crying shame. And I made this point many times, you're showing others, that a lot of the people that work in customer service in Cork and People that travel remember the old network catering, great, great catering. One of your neighbours was one of the main men, if you remember, on that, and, and the uh, Glow John. So, but I mean, people remember that, and people that used to work on the young people used to work on that service, used to enjoy going to work, uh, conditions and all they might have been. But those same people migrated into these customer service roads, and they're, they're now in dread and in fear of going to work, and that's not a nice place to be. No, it's not. Dermot, thank you. We'll talk again. Uh, 1850 715 that's Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union. Laying it straight in front of us. If something isn't done it might be hard to get a train to Dublin for the Christmas. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie Oh, thank you so much. I have three happy children, definitely. We're going to love it. Fantastic. I got a budget full of cash, but I'm... Get, 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 get.
ready for fun and play because the 10K toy giveaway is back. Take it on a shopping spree. Get all the details Monday at 8.15 a.m. Feels good. On Corks 96 FM. Hi, we have little or no bus service in Cannons Cross in Ascara. There's a bus on the main road to Dripsy and Coachford, but it's a lethal road for young people or the elderly who would primarily use that bus service. Odetta says hi PGS for bus services after looking into the proposed new bus routes map. Looks like Balancholic bus won't be going to Douglas and Carrig Line anymore. Also, for many years, people Balancholic have been asked to add the route to CUH, but this doesn't seem to be on the plan. At the moment, Balancholic bus timetable looks really good, but half of them never turn up anyway, so they can make the paper look as good as they want, but it doesn't serve the people. Well, Odetta, I think what they, the guy from the NTA was saying to me was, look, there's a lot of work to be done here yet, and a lot of consultations, so go to busconnect.ie. Uh, nothing's set in stone. At the moment, so busconnect.ie is where you need to go to, to look at more detail. Colin said, I've been paying my household charges for 10 years. I live in ovens. As far as I can see, there's been no improvement, NTA or bus-wise. After years and years of discontent with the charge, we were recently told there'd be plans for each area because of all the money we were paying. They must think we have very short memories fobbing us off with the promise of strengthened local focus. And a few months later, then this... Uh, WhatsApp says 214 has to get shorter intervals. Tom wants to know, when are they going to fit a light rail between wider footpaths for dining, disabled parking, bicycle lanes and so on? And may I say, all worthy ideas. I just don't see it possible to create a reliable rail corridor on our roads. Politicians always remind me of fellas in a college debating society lofting on about ideas they've read about but with very little local wisdom. If they want this to be credible, they want the public to support it and be enthusiastic about it. Well, they need to address those problems, otherwise it'll all be just pie in the sky. Busconnects.ie is where Hugh Cregan is sending us to go to consult on what we... They have published a list of what might be happening. It's long and it's complicated. I don't propose to read it out, but still. 1850-715-996. Reminded to you, every year in Cork, thousands of you help out by getting together to help fight homelessness with Cork. Simon, with your Christmas jumper, uh, helping to raise vital funds. It's happening again in 2021 this year. Uh, Cork's 96 of M in association with Cork Simon asking you to host your own Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest doing so in these strange times do it in the office if you're back in the office do it at home do it online with your friends or colleagues or even hook up with all those family and friends overseas and do a big one on Zoom get the Christmas jumper all of the details of how to fundraise uh, you can get them in your fundraising pack from CorkSimon.ie and join Cork's 96FM once again this Christmas to help to fight homelessness in Cork. Paul was on to us via WhatsApp voice message. Of course, that's a platform you can always use to get to us. Pop a voice message to 083 396 96 96. Paul was responding to my conversation with Dermot from the NBRU about uh, transport police and the need for them. PJ, we can't even get the Gardaí to, to police the bus lane on Patrick Street between 3 o'clock and half past 6, 7 days a week. And the MBRU expect a National Transport Police? <laughs> God! Oh, what dreamland. Thanks, Paul. If you ever want to make a point like that, brief and to the point, rather than just writing it up, 
pop it into a voice message and send it to us at 083 396 96 96. We got this yesterday and I forgot to read it out and I just leave it with you to think about and I imagine it's probably happened in your area too Hi PJ I'm writing on behalf of a woman who lives in our neighbourhood her bins were collected last week there was an awful mess left outside her house this woman's in a wheelchair she can't clean it up herself the rubbish they left included soiled pads which are on show for everyone leaving the poor woman totally embarrassed her dignity and respect are not being considered at all here and it's not the first time it's happened either I contacted the company, but they just fobbed it off. Now, we did also contact that company. They haven't replied. But has anybody else come across that around the city? Um, Bins being collected. I've been saying for ages how they sometimes just let them there, just dump them in the middle of the street and drive off without pushing back to the curb. That's the least of people's worries. But leaving things like urine pads and basically adult nappies around the street after collecting a bin. It's just not good enough. We did, as I said, contact the company involved, but uh, got no response. That happened to to you uh, or to anyone that you know? Okay, in response to that bin complaint that I read out where the bin collectors left soiled adult pads on the street outside a person's house um I live in the Mallow area, says this caller. They collect the bins when it's dark, so they probably can't see the rubbish if it falls to the ground. They have the most horrendous job to do, and they shouldn't have to pick up rubbish off the ground. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. They have gloves, and they have protective gear on them. And if something falls out of a bin... You pick it up and you horse it into the back of the truck, surely. And bin collection these days, it's a rotten job. I wouldn't do it myself for all the money in Ireland. But it's a lot less of a tough job than it used to be because now everything's wheeled up, hooked on, tucked in. You know, I'm not too sure, caller, there about that. Good point, though. Uh, I got a feed of abuse, says Brian. When I ran a, rang a bin company a few years ago, I just changed to another company there and then. They were always Curtis, the new company. Has that happened to you, though? And, and is there any, like, do, do you agree with what that caller in Mallow says? Look, you know, um, they shouldn't have to pick up stuff off the road. You know, it's a very hard and very tough job. And they're working in the dark. Well, they are anyway these mornings. They're working in the dark. And, and, and maybe they can't see now, anytime I've come up against a bin lorry in the dark of the morning or the dark of the evening, well, dark of the morning, 
there's lights at the back of the bin lorry there's fairly bright lights at the back of the bin lorry just so the lads can see what they're doing to load up the bins so I don't think that one holds any any water either 1850-715-996 now uh, Lisa was a very 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 impressive um, first conversation this morning and very sad and this is an hour later now and Lisa if you're listening back and we'll no doubt podcast extra it later on it'll be in the main podcast also Lisa is literally trying to hold off as long as she can she might go to bed she might just try to hold off as long as she can until the whole cycle of purging just takes over her body again and she said it's guaranteed to happen sometime today it could be as early as 11 o'clock she might get to 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock but she has no idea how the day will end then it's such a sad story my niece says this message is 10 years old has anorexia my sister is crying out for help and she can't get people to help her she's in the system but apparently not bad enough to get treatment in hospital you wouldn't see this for any other health condition for all others it's about getting in early and treating it before it gets bad but for eating disorders they'll only treat you when you've gone too far that actually makes an awful lot of sense thanks for that message yeah if, you, if you're diagnosed with cancer or kidney failure anything else they want to get you in there as early as possible to try and start treating you but with eating disorders it doesn't seem to work like that Lisa my heart goes out to you says this whatsapp message I know exactly what you're going through I was in St John of God's for two years I suffered for 15 years I'm a mom of four now and couldn't be happier you will get through this I'm thinking of you. Kate says all I can t- all it can take is one comment to a vulnerable young girl in school or online to trigger this, especially content about clothing. People need to be careful. And Kate, boys as well can be affected by that. So not just girls. Good morning, Lisa, uh, PJ and Co. It's a bloody disgrace hearing Lisa so bravely speak out about the issue of food addiction. So damn sad. A girl nearly having to beg for help to save her life. Her friends and family shouldn't have the added worry of setting up a GoFundMe. And clearly our country is screaming for a service which is non-existent. I hope people in power and those who hope to have a future seat in the doll rally behind her and others. Would you call out the GoFundMe again, please? Pop it up there for me, Fiona. We'll try and find it. Pop up that GoFundMe again, because they all have different names. That's what I'm always careful about. Giving out GoFundMe without having it actually written on screen in front of me. Also, I mentioned that she'd spoken a couple of times anonymously over the last few months to uh, to Anne Murphy at the Echo, and that uh, she'd now decided to finally go public and speak out under her under her full name. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to congratulate Anne Murphy because Anne. Yesterday was nominated, uh, shortlisted for a mental health award, mental health media award for her work on eating disorders over the past while. And we're also very privileged and honoured here at the Opinion Line on 96FM to have ourselves been nominated for a mental health media award for our coverage of Onakura. Chuffed to bits to receive the, the shortlist news yesterday afternoon. Those awards presented on the 1st of December. So congratulations 
to Anne for the shortlisting. And we're delighted ourselves to be shortlisted. Lisa's GoFundMe is help us help our friend Lisa. Help us help our friend Lisa. Do you know, we've always talked about talented, educated people who could make a great contribution to our country who are stuck in direct provision, waiting on a slow and painful and rusty old system to give them a break. One such man is Haydar Jaffer, and I'll talk to him next. 1857 Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Wednesday at work or on the road or maybe your kitchen table is still your home office. Be with me for the biggest tunes to race you through the afternoon and that trip to New York City. All the details you need to get your hands on this 10 grand prize. See you after the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 96 On Cork's 96FM. Hey there, thank you very much for holding. Just need to get that commercial break out yes. of the way. Good morning. You, you're <clears> living <throat> in direct provision here in Cork, aren't you? Yes. Yes. And First, good morning for all. Happy Wednesday. And to you. I am. And to you. I'm very Is it up at the Glenvira that you live? Not far from us here? Yes. Yes, <clears throat> yes I live. Yes. Just up the road. So you've been in Ireland since 2018. Your parents are here since 2013. Uh, Is that right? Uh, 2050. Okay. Okay. Tell me your story. Yes. <clears throat> Actually, uh, there are two misunderstandings. Uh, first, first misunderstand that I came uh, 2019. Okay. And the second, <clears throat> the, the second uh, misunderstanding in the article that my family and my father, he don't help me to come to Ireland. He just helped me by money. And he don't know what the way and method I use it to come here. Okay. That the things. Okay. No, because yes. I'm referring to an yeah, because, because they, they, yeah. they mention it. Yes, because they mention it in the, that my father, he helped me to to bring something and I came here. No, it's, it's not it's wrong, 100%. Okay. That's okay. the truth what I tell you. And my story, I, I, am, I am a journalist in, in my country, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have so bad situation because I'm a journalist and I write against government and social media. And uh, some people, they, they give me short time to leave Iraq. If I don't leave, they will kill me. That's my reason to leave my country. Okay. Okay. And, and after that, I came across the country and I take month by month, years by month. But my, 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 my goal, it was here, Ireland, but I can't come Ireland because Ireland, it's not a shingle country. It's very hard to get visa or get here. Why did you want to come here? Yeah. Uh, actually, what? Why did you want Sorry? to come here, Hader? I came here. I came here because I want to assist my family. I want to help my family, and I, w- I will. I will discuss that for Irish society. That we are in my country, we live with our family until we did. We we not we not like like 
after 18 we go out of my family no we don't have that we live like our traditional and uh, culture we live with our family yes. this this our life yes and yes. your parents have been here since when Ada? Uh, 2015 Okay, okay. Yes. And, and when you eventually got here, and it's a very long, tough journey, you wanted to yes. go and be placed with them, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay, but that wasn't yeah. allowed to happen. Yeah, it's not happening, exactly. Okay. And even me, even me, I apply for many times. Now I became, in three years, I applied to be near to them, but uh, that the IBS, they, they transferred me very far of, of them. Because of thinking that I am uh, update, I, I can't stay near to them. I can't like like this. They have that thinking. Mm-hmm. And are they yes. in, are they in a direct provision center too? There. No, no, no. My family in house. Yes, mm-hmm. they go. Um, and oh, so and my settled. family in the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my family now in the process of uh, citizenship. Okay. They are waiting more than two years. They are waiting for. Uh, for uh, citizenship, okay. and and I said, yeah, 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 my family. So, is so they've they've full. actually set up and settled here in Ireland. Yes, full uh, full refugee. My right. family, they get full refugee. So how come you just can't go and live with them then? Yes, that 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 the, the law here. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. To be yeah, fair, yeah, it's not make sense. Like yes, I, and, I, I, and I, even. God, I mean, they're they're here, they're settled, they've got their status, they've got their papers, yes. they're waiting on citizenship, yeah. they have a house. Yes, exactly. And and yes. you're stuck here in direct provision in Cork. Yes, this and even 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 the the, the small thing, the the simple things. Just I want some center beside my family, near to my family, and they have in Dublin many. Yeah. But they send me first time. They send me. I ask them in Basiskin to. To send me near to my family, and they send me very far, Kowloth, yeah. Ardi. And after that, I ask many times, hundred times, I, I I send that people, and they transfer me to Cork three hours and half to my family. Even I can see my family like month of month. And some, my my father is sick, and my mother also, and they need me. I want to go to. I send them. I translate something for them. Yeah. I help them with the with the house. I think, but I can't. You know. And, and even me, I. Hey, does anybody, has anybody explained or tried to explain to you why it is your parents are going to, are settling here and living here and have their status and their, and you, has anyone explained to you why you can't go live with them? Actually, no one, no one tell me, no one, they say, they tell me if you go to stay with them, you go out of, of the system and the government, they don't do anything for you. Okay. That way I, I, I still, I still in the, in the centers, yeah, and they are they are they are very 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 sad for me. Do you know that? that ah, yeah, they make makes, me it so... doesn't make any. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, either. yes, it doesn't because make any it's, sense. It's, no. Yes, you know. Okay. And Listen. thank God, I'm 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 very active. I'm very active person. I I study. I I, I develop myself. I work. I pay tax for government. I do everything, and I develop my myself. Yes, you've been and working I have all the time. Very here. very higher. Yes, I'm very higher education with ten language, yeah. and and still still until now I develop myself and I get diploma after diploma, diploma after diploma. All this I do it because I want to help uh, yeah. Irish society. I I want to help people here. 
I want to assess that, that country who's give, give the life for my family. Yeah. Hader, I'm going to leave that for today because I think that's a very stark reality. Thank you so much for being with me on the opinion line. Um, I just want you to make the real point of this discussion. Thank you, Hader. He's living up the road there in Glenvira and has been for the last couple of years. His parents, who came here, got their status, got their papers, are awaiting the stamp of citizenship, have a house, he works, he pays his taxes, and he's not allowed to go and live with his parents who've settled here. Now, imagine if his name was Mick and he went to New York where his parents had moved three years previously and they put Mick into a centre in New York and said, no, you can't actually go and live with your parents who are settled here and waiting on citizenship. It makes no sense, I'm sorry. None that ever was. 1850 There are lanes blocked off due to roadworks down at the uh, Dunkettle Interchange. Oh, there are. I had to go to Middleton last Friday afternoon and to God almighty, it's lethal down there, the delays. Lanes blocked off all the way now back to Silver Springs because of the lanes closed off. Uh, on the bins, they shouldn't be dropping the rubbish on the road in the first place, says Nick. Imagine the condition of the world, bad enough as it is, if people didn't do things they didn't have to do. Sometimes it's okay to do an extra little bit. Who did that ever hurt? And I did this as a job myself. The company supplied the workers with safety masks and boots. They have super bright lights on the truck. They can see what's going on and they can see litter caused by the pickups. If it falls to the ground, they just don't pick it up. And it's all down to a lack of motivation. You're out at four in the morning to six in the evening. I was told it was an eight-hour shift, but that didn't last. It was often 12 hours, 13 hours. You only get a 20-minute lunch break. There could be more done on both sides. Thanks for that one, too. 1850-715-996. Now, we mentioned COP26 yesterday. Talking to the young woman, Therese, who's headed over to COP26. I think she said she's going tomorrow uh, to... um, you know, to make a presence felt over there. And one group that's watching COP26 with a lot of interest is our farmers. Uh, because a lot of the focus on climate change and how to try to at least slow it down, if not reverse it, is farming and the farming industry. And I know that farmers are nervous right now of what they're going to be told to do in terms of climate change. One man who's been making a contribution to the environment and a contribution to uh, biodiversity for a number of years now is Donald Sheehan, uh, who farms out along the Bride River. Donald, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Donald, uh, you've been doing the, the biodiversity thing and focusing on the environment for a number of years. Talk to me about that first. Well, I suppose um, I, I'm a farmer myself, a, a dairy farmer, PJ, and um, from a long number of years back, um, as a farmer, I, I could see the changes that were happening, and not all of them positive, um, especially with regards to biodiversity. Um, I could see the the speed at which farming was changing, and and um, the intensity, and and I was part of that myself, and still am, but. Uh, there was just no uh, appreciation of the environment. We were losing the connection with nature. 
and um I just felt something needed to change. I, I, I felt that um, we were losing species. And, and a lot of farmers w- would have realised this, but species don't go overnight. You know, it's, it, it takes a long while. And um, there were, you know, the corn creek was gone before my time, but, you know, the cuckoo was there when I was young and it's gone now. Uh, skylarks were there. Um, you know, hen harriers were bred in the, in the, in the Bride Valley. Curlew's bred in the Bride Valley back in, in the 60s. Mm. And, and, and they're all gone. And um, it was just about trying to do something. I always felt that, you know, there, there's people in, in places that, that will, will make the changes that are needed, but, but those changes weren't happening. And some few years back, um, myself and a fellow farmer, Paul Moore, and uh, an ecologist, Tony Nagel, we were always arguing uh, about um, why, why it wasn't as simple as just making a few changes here and there and Tony could never figure out being the ecologist why we couldn't just make those changes and and it was difficult to see from, from uh, a non-farming perspective um, you know it, it's not just you can't just let your farm go away A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You have an income to make, and mm. um, but but it it, it it is a simple matter of just making a few small changes that that can make um get, that can have huge impacts, and and with that we we um we stopped the arguing, and we uh we, we formed the the bride project. We applied for funding to the Department of Agriculture and the EU, and uh, we got 1.1 million for five years to to try and improve uh, biodiversity in in the Bride Valley. In a, it's an intensive farming landscape. Yeah. So you keep, is it 10% of all of your land focused on giving back to the environment, as it were? Yeah. So so, so it, it's the space for nature, really. That's, uh, we call it the biodiversity managed area. So it, it, it's, it's, it's your hedgerows, your, your field margins, ponds, bogs, wetlands, all of the areas that, that you know, before this farmers would have called waste ground and, and that was, you know, good for nothing. We see a value in that, you, you know, hedgerows reduce your carbon footprint. They provide um, pollen for, for pollinators. Um, they provide a beautiful landscape. I mean, uh, Everybody would be aware of the, the beautiful landscape we have in May and June when, when yes. hedgerows are at their, at their most beautiful. And all of, the, all of these things and all of these habitats 
uh, they, they have a value, whether it's a visual value to ourselves and a feel-good factor, whether it's a value to pollinators, a value to water quality. If you, you know, if you have a wetland uh, and you drain it, that, that water just runs off it and it's gone into the river in no time, whereas, you know, a wet area holds back the water yeah. and it prevents flooding further downstream. Uh, all, all of these things, and they have, wetlands have their own unique biodiversity also, and there's, there's species that live in wetlands and won't live anywhere else. So you take away the wetland, you take away the species. I think that's the key to everything. The more habitats you have, the more species you'll have. And you take away the habitat or you take away the... The, the, whatever it lives on and, and that species is gone it's it's very simple really like you know uh, mm. that that's why we have biodiversity loss yeah you, you you see yourself as sharing the land with the other habitats and working the uh, land uh, with the other habitats uh, absolutely uh, and 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 that's the way the bride project works we we incentivize farmers to look after the those habitats um uh, the whole project is based on incentives the more habitats you have the higher your payments um the better quality your habitats the higher the payments uh, the more habitats you have uh, the higher the payments so it, it's all about having this this 10% um um, you know, and, and there was a debacle there a couple of weeks ago about, you know, 4% they're arguing uh, about whether it should be 4 or 5%. Well, if that's what we're arguing over, PJ, there, there's, we're, we're at nothing because mm. no one in the Bride Project has, has anything near 4%. You know, 4% yeah. wouldn't be on the scale. You'd have nothing left at 4%. Yeah. So arguing whether it should be 4 or 5 at a time when we need to start improving biodiversity and, and start um, making changes to improve our climate, um, you're at nothing really at 4 or 5%. A uh, 10% would be, would be a minimum, minimum yeah. value. You, you you don't need me to tell you, Donald, that your your fellow farmers up and down the country are looking with worry towards what's coming out of COP26 because mm-hmm. they say we need to cut things like methane, we need to cut mm-hmm. things like carbon emissions. And they're saying, hold on, yeah. like, cotton picking minute here. Yeah. This is my business mm-hmm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those uh, well, farmers? I- I, I would say that, that that they need to look at as, as the green as as an opportunity. Um, you, you know the the narrative has focused on on the obstacles and 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 the risks and so on. But I, I don't see it that way. I, I see these changes as being a huge opportunity for farming to turn the corner. Because the road we, we've been on, um, whether farmers like it or not, it's not sustainable. You know, the, the amount of fertilizers that we put out, the, the increased number of sprays uh, that we're using, and and this isn't this isn't blaming farmers. This is um, this is happening because it's from the ground up. Whether you're a consumer, when you when you go into a shop, you you inevitably you buy the cheapest food. You know, people don't see a difference between milk that's costing one euro and one euro ten, mm-hmm. and and that that that's all all goes back down to the farmer. The retailer is not going to take a hit. Um, that it'll, it'll be passed to the processor, and the processor will pass it all the way back to the farmer. And and farmers then have to go pinching the environment, taking out more hedgerows uh, to survive. And and this isn't me going out with my cap in the hand, look, looking for more money. This is just part of the problem. Mm. Um, you know, when I when I get paid for, for my milk, I get paid for the kilos of butterfat and the kilos of protein that I produce, and, and nothing else. Mm. There, there's no incentive from the consumer coming back to me saying, uh, Donald, we, we, we like the way you're farming and um, we, we think that you're doing more or, or uh, this could be any farmer. Th- th- that incentive isn't there. The connection with the consumer is not there. 
I, I can't uh, give the consumer uh, the milk that I'm producing, whether it's good, bad or different. It, it's all lumped into the one and it's 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 paid for um, by the consumer as a, as a cheap commodity. Mm. Um, so so until, until we get that signal, because I, I do think the process... Are, are you saying here that the, that the consumer, Donald, lastly, needs to get used to maybe paying a bit more for their pint of milk? Well, I, I, I wouldn't like to see anybody n- not being able to afford food. You know, that that's not the issue. But I, I do think that there's a signal has to come back from the consumer that if they want to, you know, a healthier environment, it can't be cheap, cheap, cheap all the time because that's what's pushing uh, the environment to the limits. Um, th- th- there needs to be a, a margin coming back to the farmer and the farmer in turn. Uh, has to look after the environment and and we we have a template in the bride project whereby we we go out and we score the habitats we're we're able to map the the habitats we're able to map the amount of 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 your farm that's in um you know biodiversity managed area or space for nature and and we're able to we're able to score based on scorecards we're able to score those habitats and and the farmers get paid for the quantity they have and they get paid for the quality of those habitats. So there need to be incentives Um, as well to farmers to make these changes that are invariably coming and have to come, like you say, there needs to be an incentive there for the farmer to, to buy into that. Listen, good to talk to you, Donald. Uh, Donald Sheehan farms a 70-strong dairy herd in the Bride Valley. Bio, biodiversity regeneration in a dairying environment is the big name. The Bride Project is the short name. 1857-15996. Thanks, Donald. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Tom Grennan released his second album, Evering Road, in early 2021 and has followed it up with a tour announcement that takes in a show live at the Marquee Cork on the 31st of May Next. Tickets are now on sale from usual outlets. Access all areas. The Darkness have announced plans to bring their Motor Heart Tour to Cypress Avenue in February 2022. The UK Rockers return to Cypress Avenue for the show, taking place on the 26th, and tickets are now on sale from the venue's website, cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or a live stream coming up by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Raymond Hearn of Be Secure Online has been a regular guest on the Opinion Line over the last number of years talking about being secure online and protecting our children online. Graham is now calling for every school child in the country to be given a laptop and taught coding and IT skills in their school. How, how young would you start them at this, Graham? Good morning. Uh, we need kids and employees and people who know what they're doing. And uh, my son just finished his uh, leaving search and did a big computer room in the place. And I won't name the school, uh, but they never went into it. A brand new Apple uh, centre given by Apple. Mm. And uh, they never once went inside it in six years of senior school. And that's got to stop. And um, why shouldn't we be educating our children properly yeah. and giving them all laptops? You look, it's the we're in 2022 next year. Can you believe it, PJ? 2022. Yeah. And everybody's got a laptop at home, nearly. But we need everybody. We need to get rid of the digital advantage for the rich. 
and make it a digital advantage for everybody yeah. and make it simple. And, you know, uh, let's make sure that everyone uh, knows how to install Windows 10 or 11 on Mam's new computer this Christmas. Yeah. And why not? Yeah. Because you believe that the school system is way behind the curve here. Um, yeah, way behind. I've been out in Japan and Korea on business and I was invited to see a few things and oh my God. Really? Um, you know, teaching, teaching kids stranger danger on Snapchat is just miles behind. Um, but really, it all starts. What kind of things are they learning? Work it out. They're just, they're uh, much more emphasis on the maths and the sciences, much more. And they wouldn't, they're absolutely no interest in Latin and Greek and all of that rubbish. Um, but there's a much bigger, more adventurous approach to teaching maths and sciences and engineering and skills that we need and all that sort of thing. And that's what our kids need. They need to come out of school with skills that we need, they need and we need. Yeah, yeah. So looking through your blog this morning is the, very, you know, the, ver- the various things that, that you stand for and that you, and that you promote. Like how, how, we've talked before about how our kids are ahead of us because they're they're digital natives now. They're practically born with a smartphone in their hand. They they know how yeah. to work a computer before they know how to work the, the, a dishwasher, shall we say? And um, so yeah. so we need to start adapting for them. It's their yes. world. Well, they they the the uh, the teaching infrastructure and the supports in every junior school in the county and in Munster and around the country uh, could even start by. Um, but the first thing is to, is to arrange a program to get these kids laptops or iPads. And the cost is minimal, a thousand quid per person, let's say, multiplied by the number of kids there are in the country is a tiny number in relation to the budget of the Department of Education. It's yeah. tiny. Yeah. And then just show the kids how to use these things, um, how to open Word, how to use Excel. And these are skills that many kids in sixth year will leave school this year without how to how to properly do uh, use an Excel spreadsheet. Most kids leaving school this year, except maybe some of the private schools, will not know how to do that or would struggle to do it. Mm. Yeah. And they go to college without the skills um, to even look around Google um, and get some proper research. And now I don't mean cut and paste. Mm. And I mean, just be able to get some and then word it properly and format it nicely and put it into Word and present it to college or to their first boss or to even write a proper email or to send a letter. Yeah. Um, and this, these are simple skills. And that is basics that people should have had in the 1990s or even the 80s. Yeah. Um, so we need to be we need to step up. Like you ask most kids, go ahead, their son and install uh, Windows 11. I got a new PC at Harvey Nicks over Christmas. Sorry, not Harvey Norman's. And I need, I, you know, I never got it. And can you download and install that for me, son, and then show me how to open it up? I'm guaranteeing you, PJ, most kids wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. Because they open the top and it's, and it's all there. They have no idea what's inside under, under the bonnet. Something else that you put in your blog too, Graham, is how things that have changed during lockdown and since the, since yeah. the pandemic started that, we, that parents need to be wary of. Yeah, um, but just before that, PJ, if anybody's thinking what I just said was rocket science, it isn't. Yeah. Most primary schools, if they got a pallet of uh, laptops, could do that themselves without instruction from the department um, with skills they already know by just setting a little bit of time aside in the day 
to teach the kids how to use that. And wouldn't it be a fantastic addition to their numeracy and literacy by the time they leave for senior school? Mm -hmm. And they would actually have these skills and they would be native to them. And um, that would be something that everybody in the school, regardless of background, had uh, some skills in. Because, um, you know, as a country, um, the, you know, stacking jobs, stacking shells and Tesco's and Dunn's won't exist as a job. A machine will be doing that by the time first classers are going to work in the next 20 years. Yeah. So they, diff- they, they need different skills. Yeah. Sorry, the other, the other point. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, schools need to be much more in line with what's going on in social media and uh, teaching privacy profiles, not chasing followers. And real instruction around gaming and that sort of thing, and the addictions involved, and keeping the kids, um, keep giving, making sure the kids have some variety in their lives. Yeah, yeah. Like Christmas is coming. Dread. I hate to say it, but do we want all of our children spending all of their time in Fortnite and Minecraft this winter? Do we really? Uh, what about the great outdoors? Shelburne and uh, Shamrock Rovers, they all need footballers. So do Cork City. Man, you need the next great Cork man. Mm. Uh, Munster Rugby needs players. Where are they all going to come from? Because there's more people doing Fortnite than playing soccer. Yeah. yeah. So we need balance. It's, it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah. The teachers, I'm sure, who might be listening to this, are saying, come here to me now. We have enough to be getting into their little heads. The curriculum and the syllabus is busy, is busy enough without having to teach them word. Can't their parents teach them that? Yeah, right. And uh, sure, that's the Mandy Rice Davis. They would say that anyway, wouldn't they? Um, the uh, no, I mean, unfortunately, teachers are are caught in the uh, caught in the headlights on this one. Um, but with a little bit of planning, there is plenty of time inside. And most of the teachers in primary schools are quite young and therefore quite adaptable. And we're putting aside their remuneration. That's a their and their pay. That's another issue. But I think the teachers could, uh, there's not a lot to be done. I think teachers could quite easily adapt. I know that they'll complain, and of course their unions will. But, you know, we, we were born to be adaptable. Mm. And your excellent speaker um, that you just had on farming was speaking to all of this. And we have to move, just as your farmer just now, I think his name was Stephen, was it? Donald. Um, he, Donald, yeah. And what, a, what an unbelievable contribution you made. But just like farming needs to move, so does schooling and so do teachers need to be flexible. I know that they have their issues with the 08 agreements and all of this, but um, flexibility needed because the kids need it. Yeah. And your whole business is around cybersecurity and protecting us all online. And you're saying, I think, Graham, key message of this entire conversation, that's got to start at the school desk as early as possible. Yeah, as early as possible because we want all of our kids to have balanced lives. They're not on their screens all day long. They're not fortnighting all day long. And they have the skills both on leaving primary school going into secondary school and then they have the skills doing the next two hops if they do those. Now they have to do going into secondary school. But they need the skill sets um, and not just being able to swap out a Snapchat and go to Instagram because that's not a life skill. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, yeah, yes, that's and, and we need to give that a little bit more consideration. Something else that you mentioned, actually, which, which rings very true. I, I guess there are an awful lot of young first years in the colleges up and down the country now. And the first year of their degree, a huge 
portion of it is actually taken up learning how to log stuff in on the computer, how to format stuff in Word, and they have to learn from scratch because they didn't get it in school. Uh, yeah, well, we're talking to a very select part of your audience now, but absolutely. Um, yeah, there was, um, it, there's, there's a huge knowledge gap there in, say, kids leaving, going into for fourth, fifth, and sixth year in this country um, on how to properly research and um, just just uh, any topic you like, go and get three sources of that, re- read it through and then select the best and rewrite it and format it nicely um, and, uh, and make it presentable for the person reading it. Most kids going into first year college are unable to do that. Um, and make it presentable. Now, what they can do is they can take a big slice of uh, of uh, an article on Google or anything that they find and simply load that across into their Gmail or whatever it is, the, the, the Google Drive thingy that they have. Um, but that's not education. That's cut and paste. Yeah. Um, and then making them, making sure, making and getting them to disseminate that, which means just reading it. Uh, sorting it out, rewriting it because they shouldn't just be using copy and paste and presenting it in a way that makes sense, hits the topic laid out by the lecturer. And here's news for fifth and sixth years. Lecturers in college are not interested in babysitting you. They will not. They will simply give you the assignment and they will mark it at the end. And it's a huge shock to kids leaving school, most of whom haven't got the basics or the toolkit. Or if they go down to the local, if they get a job in the local hardware store and the boss man says, would you ever go around and count all the uh, widgets that we have in that shelf there and pop it into Excel, count it up and put a price on it and let me know what you find. A very standard, simple job. Most kids couldn't do it. In fact, I'd say 95% could not do that. That's an incredibly easy job to do. Change needed, and coming back to where we started, that change is best affected, I suppose, Graham, by by giving a child a laptop in school as when once they're old enough to open it and set it up. Yeah, and that is uh, that's junior infants, because that's where the junior infant can will arrive in school and she will know how to use a she will almost certainly know how to get laptop. She'll open how know how to open Nan's laptop and get her Netflix. So that Nan can watch what she wants to watch. Um, so let's turn that into a useful skill that all of society can uh, benefit from, especially the school and especially the student. Even And let's start at junior infants. And in a small country like ours, which is relatively well off, despite the financial crisis and everything else, a thousand pounds. Per for for the what PJs at sixty thousand kids a year go into school. Well, well here's the That's thing, Graham: thousand euro. Like I guarantee you. And you know this better than I do. If you go to a provider, a given provider, and say, we want however many thousand laptops put into the hands of primary school children every year, you'll get a savage discount. Savage. And Dell, Dell, Google, Apple and IBM and everyone will bite your hand off to get that deal. All right. Listen, Graham, we'll talk again. Interesting conversation. Graham Hearn from Be Secure Online. The way we teach our children computers needs to change. We're way, way behind. 1850-715-996. Some breaking news. I don't like to bring it to you, but I will. Neffet. A meeting of Neffet has been called for this afternoon. Dr. Tony Houlihan will chair it. Philip Nolan, 
Professor Martin Cormican, who is the Clinical Lead on Infection Control, the HSE, and Dr. Killian de Goon are to attend that meeting of NEFIT. On a brighter note, Premier League Live back Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by TalkSport. Big one. Big one this Saturday. Live coverage of Manchester United versus Manchester City. That is at half past 12. Crystal Palace against Wolves at three. Brighton against Newcastle United at half past five. It's the Premier League live online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with the Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or at 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Must do this before I forget. We had Jessica Lean from the Cork's 96FM newsroom on the show with us yesterday about her one-woman show waiting for Wi-Fi, which uh, is back at the Cat Club. And a gang of us went last night to support our friend and colleague. And it's a short show, but it's a wonderful production. And she is absolutely brilliant on stage. A stage on which there is nothing except a wooden box and herself. It is brilliant. You will laugh a lot. And there's a strong message in it, too. Great, great production on at the Cat Club all week. Uh, Jessleen's waiting for Wi-Fi. Get along and enjoy uh, while you can, unless Neffert are going to close the whole thing down again. We don't know. We do not know what that meeting is about. We can only say that it's our. We can only assume it's in response to the three thousand seven hundred twenty-six cases that were reported yesterday and there's 500 people in hospital there's nearly 100 people in ICU and unfortunately all the predictions are it's going to get considerably worse before it gets any better at least in terms of daily infections so Neffet, uh, Dr Tony Holohan uh, Philip Nolan Professor Cormican from the HSC and Killian de Gascoon to meet this afternoon uh, if we can find any more if we can get any more about that for you uh, before quitting time we will certainly do that <laughs> on whatsapp Neffet Quango Unchained the movie coming this Christmas I know but they're meeting they're meeting on Graham Mul- um, Mulhern and what he was saying about youngsters and computers and laptops no junior infant should be accessing Netflix on a family member's laptop yeah you're probably right Th- they shouldn't but, but here is the fact We'd prefer if they didn't, but they do, and they can. They're digital natives, and and to them, that's normal. We'd prefer that they didn't, but we should also accept that they can, and they will. And if we don't teach them, they will learn for themselves. If they're not taught the responsible, careful way to do it, they will learn for themselves and end up in trouble. And that's what Graham was saying. Well, thank you. 1850-715-996. 1850-715-996. Don't know if you watch this. Uh, it's a good show. Uh, John Connors Acting Academy. 
This is a super uh, television show on RT2. It's a three-part series, and John Connors works with six budding actors from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, all of whom have one thing in common, and that is that getting into a drama school would be a problem for them. Um, young people from various different backgrounds. One of them is Danny Power from Cork, uh, 20 years of age, and he joins me. Hi, Danny. How are we, PJ? Very well, sir. Very well. You've always, you've always wanted to act, so you had a lot of fun on the show. I did. I, I've, I've, as you said, I've always wanted to act. Whether when I started rap, well, I started rapping when I was nine, and since I started rapping when I was nine, I've always had like uh, a passion to get up on stage and like act in front of people. You know, because when I'm rapping, I put a lot of acting in as well. You know, my movements. So I've always wanted to do it, and then when I got the Young Offenders and the Christie movie and stuff, I just it, it just blew me away. Asher, now, and, now I know who I'm talking to. <laughs> you're one of you're one of GMC's and GMC's lads, aren't you? Uh, I am. Ah, your Jesus! Now I know who I have, Danny. For God's sake! So, like, but then again, getting on television is a whole big different thing. Yeah, yeah, like. Getting on television is is especially when you're sitting there watching it yourself. It's oh, oh, I love it. It's inspiring for me. But not just what you see on television. It's about what happens while they were making what you're seeing on television. You know, because for me, it was I it made me feel like ten times better in myself. I met absolutely amazing people. Mm. Um, I was re- I was really scared at the start, you know, because it's scary when you go into acting and you have to go up and act in front of other actors you know because you'd stand there and worry about what they're going to think I'm unlike acting am I good enough do they think that they want me you know so you get all these emotions and there's always going to be a little bit of fear there but you always just try tie it in you know and bring it down slowly and then soon enough it will fade away you know yeah I mean it's it's all very fine to act and do your stuff for people who know you and people you're comfortable yeah. with, but in front of a group of strangers, it's a whole different ball game. What was the first time like? Uh, the first time for me, after uh, uh, it was, it was really, it was weird. Yeah. It was, it was like I went up and when I started acting, I was like, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is like the right thing that I meant to do. Am I meant to stand here? Am I meant to make this face? How do I act like this fella? And then when when you do it. And someone comes up to you and they're like, oh my God, like that was really good. You've done that really good. It's like you get start thinking to yourself, you get a sense like, oh my God, I can, I, I can do this. Yeah. I can, I can, like, I can, like, I can make this happen. That feeling, uh, for me, it's wholesome because it makes me feel, it makes me feel complete because I like making other people happy with acting or rapping or even making jokes and stuff. But, what all people need to remember is that all the stuff you see on TV isn't actually what the person is, you know. That person actually has separate emotions to what you're seeing on TV. And for me, uh, my, my emotions sometimes go mad. But with this, with the acting, my, I think it's just, especially what I've done in the John Connors, because I've done a class with Paul Mussolini's and he's yeah. a, like um, an acting coach. Yeah. And he does voices. That's right. And like I've... I've always done voices like I I love the Dublin accent. I can do the Northern Ireland accent. I'm working on all English accents and like he like taught me just how to like to reach in because it's not even about 
like putting an accent on. Like all you have to do is get their slang words and how they pronounce words, and just just even talking like that would nearly get you the accent, you know. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, one my probably my favorite part about um the John Connor shows was I done um it was like an emotional class with a man called Tiernan Williams, right. and uh, I uh, I I find it very hard to reveal emotions. You know, I um sometimes I just keep them to myself and I don't talk to a lot of people. But when I, when I was on with him and I was talking to him and he brought out like rocks, shells and like sticks and stuff, and he was asking me to choose some. And for some reason, I just fell to this shell and it was like a soft shell. And I just started crying because I the, it brought out the emotions in me. You know, something that I've never felt is something that I've never brought out in front. Of anyone, and did especially you, did you feel not you weren't able to do it, Danny, or what? Uh, well, it, it's it's not that I wasn't able to do it. You know, you have all these like thoughts in your head, and you just it's just building up to stuff. Like especially meeting all them people and stuff. I was just sitting there, you know, and I was like, "Oh, how did this happen to me?" But not even how did this happen to me? How did I get here? You know? Yeah. Like, but yeah, and I just I find I find, I found it very hard to release emotions, but. Since I went up there and I'd done that with him, I, I felt 10 times better in myself afterwards. I yeah. talked to anybody about anything. And I, I did, I, that's why I just want to really thank Stanley Williams because he really did help me a lot, in, especially in getting emotions together with acting. Yeah. Do you think that the experience now of the programme will, will help you going forward? I mean, clearly acting is what you want to do as a career. Yeah, yeah, no, acting, yeah, acting is definitely what I wanted to do. Uh, obviously, rapping as well, because I always keep rapping, but I think that the program has 100% like put me five or four, five or six feet forward than I was already, you know, because like I've learned so many things up there, especially from John Connors himself, because John Connors is uh, an amazing man. He's naturally he's gifted, so isn't talented. He? he's an incredible guy, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Like, he's so smart and he just has this thing about him that if you tell him to do something in acting, he can just do it without thought. Like, and he's brilliant. And I met so many other people and, like, it was, for me, it was absolutely brilliant. I learned so many things. Like, I, I, I don't think I'll ever go to any other classes like that where I'll expe- experience something like that. Yeah, you've made friends, I think, out of this, Denny. I did. I did. I, I made very good friends. It was like, it was me... Ruslan, Amy, Martin, Aaron, Abigail, and we all had a blast. But I had one, you know, you always have a group of friends, but you always have that one friend that you'd stick with, you know? Mm. And for me, that was Aaron. He's Aaron. He's from Dublin, and he is hes an amazing young man. He has talent like I've never seen before, and he's, he's very, um, what would you say, he's very subtle and stuff, and he's very into himself you know and I I think that me and him are going to be best friends forever Good. after we done this because we had such an amazing time and every morning I'd get up every morning he'd get up he'd come in and wake me or I'd come in and wake him and yeah he's just an absolute legend Do you know what I look forward to Denny I look forward to seeing a cast list for something and there's Denny Parrish Yeah 
Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> my name. <laughs> but I made the connection from the start. I remember you running around with a microphone, you, you devil, you, and you were on, you were yeah, I know six or seven. I remember <laughs> I took I took a picture up there. I st- I think I still have the picture of me and my friend in that studio when I'm about seven or eight, That's and right. I was next to you, and it was amazing. <laughs> Listen, Danny, take care of yourself, mate, and con- 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 congratulations on doing so well in the series, and uh, hopefully a big future in the world of acting for Danny Power from Cork who was one of the youngsters on John Connor's Acting Academy someone sent me in a message actually to wish Danny Power well about a week or two ago which I did I had no idea it was the same little young pup (laughs) he was a little devil running around with GMC all those years ago great stuff Danny can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Fully focused, what do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch. Exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre match analysis, live commentary, and in depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. The story that broke there just before 11. Neffet, uh, uh, what seems like to be a hastily, a hastily convened meeting uh, this afternoon between the the main players in Neffet, political correspondent Sean Defoe. Can you tell us anything, Sean? Good morning. Uh, morning. Yeah, no, it's not that hasty. This has been planned from uh, from at least yesterday. I had heard that this was was going to be happening and going to go ahead. Obviously, there is more worry being added to it, given the the level of figures that we saw last night three thousand seven hundred and twenty six new cases. So there is that element of fear around government buildings, I suppose, in the last 24 hours that we are on a a fairly high trajectory. Now, Stephen Donnelly kind of in some ways tried to play it down last night when you look at the actual figures, because some of this is just a a backlog from the weekend. It's cases that weren't logged over the weekend Mm. uh, that are kind of catching up. And so this might be a one-day blip and then we go back down to sort of the 2,500, 2,400 where we have been seeing today. We won't really know until later on today, most likely at that effort briefing, what those figures are going to be. But at the same time saying, and at the same time saying we are... Uh, sort of middle of the road in between the optimistic and the pessimistic predictions that Nessa gave at the time of the reopening of the nine clubs when that was actually announced. So that the, at the minute, uh, the overall weekly trends anyway uh, aren't something to go totally panicky about. But if we do start seeing a, a sustained trend, that's when we're going to have to worry. And, and uh, Tony Houlihan in his statement last night was very much saying that as well, being like, look, this is something that we can uh, we can uh, combat together. If the people who aren't vaccinated actually get vaccinated, that will go a long way. And if the people who are vaccinated just stick to the stuff that we were doing for so long, that maybe we've dropped on a bit off a bit in terms of the, the hand washing and the mask wearing and social distancing and all, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see whether he has something of a change of tone this afternoon uh, and what the figures are today. But uh, at the minute, it's sort of a uh, looks bleak, but don't panic sort of a situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it. How long is it? Are they meeting? yet or is it this afternoon and will we get a statement afterwards do you think? 
Uh, we'll get a full press conference. They're going to have a full press conference at 3 o'clock today. Um, so Netflix, um, I, I'm not sure if they finished meeting today or finished having discussions, but the 3 o'clock is when we get a full and detailed update on, on what the situation is and where we are kind of two weeks out. It wouldn't be totally unusual that they would do this two weeks out from a big announcement. I know because we've gone away and thought that Netflix in fact would be disbanded a couple of weeks ago. Now it seems like a bit of panic stations whenever we hear from them. But I suspect we're going to be getting more regular Netflix updates throughout the winter than we have been getting uh, over the last few weeks. Okay, all right, we'll see what comes. Uh, thank you very much, Sean Defoe, political correspondent. So they were planning this from yesterday. It's not as hastily convened as it appears to have been. Uh, but certainly the news broke quite suddenly around quarter to 11. So the press conference then a briefing at three o'clock. I said it to you earlier this morning, that though, that Tuesday figure, and Sean confirmed it there, that Tuesday figure might be a bit off because... Tuesday was always a day, and we used to do the numbers here quite frequently on the program. Uh, I used to do them a couple of times a week. And Tuesday was always a bit of an iffy day. You could get a blip on Tuesday. Interesting, you you could get a blip or you could get a dip on a Tuesday. So the hope, I think, is that this is just a blip, where a lot of numbers come in that hadn't been crunched on Sunday and into Monday. uh, And they come out on Tuesday. So maybe... Was it a blip? Was it a dip? But that meeting, we think on at the moment, and a press conference or a briefing around 3 o'clock with what's coming out of it. 1850-715-996. In the middle of the pandemic, when Neffet were meeting nearly every day and briefing us nearly every day and giving us numbers and telling us what we could and couldn't do, a lot of people turned to TikTok for a bit of solace. Uh, and a bit, of, a bit of fun. One of them was Sharon Sweeney. And I'm not too sure, Sharon, like, did you ever think that you'd end up on radio programs like this after you started like, literally acting the fool on TikTok? Good morning. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It was a group of mutual friends on a friends list. Yeah. Um, such as, like, Facebook, um, thinking that they were the only ones who would see it and it kind of, like, it blew up bit by bit. Yeah. My favourite one is the one where you have the Hoover out the back because the yeah. neighbours are arguing. Yeah, I've seen that one. Like I've seen, I've seen people do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a voiceover. It's someone else's voice. Yeah. Um, you can do that on TikTok. You just take their voice and you do your own little video. Mm. So, where did you learn to do all the voiceovers and all that kind of stuff? On TikTok. Really? That you can you can learn it all. So yeah. how long does it take you to do a sketch? Three minutes. That's my longest. Yeah. And it's the longest you can go on TikTok. Um previously it was just a minute, so and you you would get a lot into a minute, you know, if you're quick enough and witty enough, you'd get it in. Yeah. Another one I love is the the one where you decide that you don't want to buy it and you walk is it walking through Aldi or some one of those places with a stool? Yeah, <laughs> and they open the freezer and just lob it in because you go, oh yeah, I know, no, we've done that. That was the set off. I ran back and put it back on the of shelf. Of course it was. Yeah, I know that, <laughs> but it was funny. It was very funny. Where do the ideas come from? Of, of what you're going to do? It's just spur the moment things. They'll, they'll come in as a thought, and then I'll go and do them. Yeah, yeah. Do you know. Ideas as well as stuff I see on Facebook. Like I recently did a video there about a cat getting knocked down, and you know, um, it was a natural conversation I read on Facebook a few years ago. 
Someone posted in that they found a dead cat and a person replied, could you take a picture? Do they answer to this name? But the cat was dead. And like, I found that hilarious. And these kind of things, they stick in my mind. So now that I kind of reenact them myself. What do your kids think of this? I've like, I've shown my son the Aldi one and he just rolls his eyes. He doesn't get it. Like he's 14. Yeah. Do you know? Like, is he mortified that his mother's on TikTok? He's not on TikTok. He doesn't have social media. So it's lost on him, if yeah. you get me. Yeah. Are you surprised, though, by how it took off? I was very surprised. Um, when your own crowd last month, uh, LMFM, asked if they could share a video, and I said they could, but not the Aldi one, and they took the birthday card one, and then they texted back and said it was going to be over seven radio stations, yourselves included. That's right. And kind of, it did blow up a bit, um, and it quietened down again. It was grand, and Cork BEO got in touch. Yeah, I think Monday morning and asked if they could do an interview. Yeah, they oh, like the, the one with the dog. The your dog, <laughs> your dog is. I think your dog. I think you're running up to your dog. What's he look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the most embarrassing. What's funny? Yeah, it's gas. It's really good. You'd have yeah. Yeah. So, so are you going to are you going to keep doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if we're going into another lockdown. Oh, don't! Oh, don't! There'll be thousands of them. <laughs> I'm addicted now. <laughs> That's the thing. It, it does catch you, doesn't it? You, you get, you think, I got to make another one. I got to make another one, and you're trying to do something different every day. So, like, it, yeah, it, 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 you're an influencer now. Do you know that? Ah, uh, you're an influencer now. Like there are people out there that I watch and they are influencers, they're brilliant, you know, but um I get a great kick out of it, you know. It's not for everyone, but it's for me. I like it. There you go. And it's I'll keep doing it. Good for you. Where can people find it? What's the name of the account to follow? Sharon Satire. Sharon Satire, and that's exactly what it is. Sharon Sweeney, thanks. And congratulations, because they are very funny. Some of them really short, some of them are kind of rude. There's a little bit of swearing. Be wary of that. But it's some of them are very funny. Have to hand it to her. Sharon Satar on TikTok. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. We always hear complaints about not being able to keep nurses and doctors in this country. Nurses in particular. We hear time and time again that they're leaving us in plane loads to go to the UK and to go to Australia and to go to other parts of the world. We often wonder why. One of them is down to the paying conditions in the Irish Health Service. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And yesterday, about 200 people gathered outside Leinster House in support of better pay and conditions for student nurses. It was a lunchtime protest. And now there is, we believe, a pay offer on the table of about 12.5% for student nurses at this stage. But most of them, you pick up a half a dozen student nurses, meet them in the street and say, what are you going to do when you're qualified? Three or four of them would say, I'm getting on a plane. I'm getting out of here uh, because of the terms and conditions of work. And we talked to a few of them during the 
uh, the lockdowns in particular, when the hospitals were overwhelmed and the stories they told us were, were horrendous. Now, Lucy, you couldn't go to the protest because you, you were working, um, but, but you were there in spirit, as it were. Good morning to you. Hi, uh, how are you? Good. What's life like? As a st- I remember talking to a, a student nurse called Tessa last year about, about how, how horrendous it was there on the front line. Has it got any better? Um, do you know what? No, it's kind of the same. Like, it's the same work and everything. So it hasn't changed much, really. Yeah. Like, what's a typical day like? What are your hours like? Um, well, usually it depends where we are, but typically if we're on medical wards or surgical wards, um, which we usually are, it's at least 12 hours, right. 12 hours a day, about 30 hours a week. Okay. And you obviously have to study for exams and all that while you're doing that. So it's it's more than just a 30 hour week. You're talking a 40, 50 hour week then. Yeah, because we'd have a few assignments, say, so with the days in between, we have to study for that. And it's just a lot of pressure then as well. And it's just really stressful. And, you know, we'd be wrecked after placement, like if we're on like for two or three two or three days in a row like and um we'd be wrecked like and then the next day our day off like we just want a day off but you know then we have to do assignments and all that we're just mentally drained like and, and do you get paid while you're in the, the hospital no no nothing no, not when we're student nurses no not at all so you're 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 working on the front line not getting paid for it and as you put it last year like this time last year in September last year you were running into a danger zone you were running into the kind of place that people run out of Yeah 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 And like trying to feed yourself and fund yourself I mean you have to travel to your placement and all that like how yeah, do you, how do you manage yeah. for money Um well see I'm lucky now with um with where my hospital is, it's on um, College Road. It's the Bonds okay. on College Road. So it's I'm actually, I'm very lucky, but there'll be some people like, and they're sent up to Mallow, like, and they're living in Cork. Yeah. Do you know? There was one placement I had and I was sent to Mallow for two weeks. So I had to pay for a train, like, every time I had to go there. Right, right. So and But you're, not getting, that you're not getting paid at all on the wards. So that's just... No, no. Yeah. No, they did pay for my travel expenses. Right. Which was the only good thing about it. Yeah. But other than that, we didn't get paid, no. Yeah. Let me bring in, stay there for me, uh, Lucy. Bring in Katie. Katie, you're another person who unfortunately couldn't make it there yesterday because of work and, and other commitments. But like having to go into a hospital for weeks on end and, and, and no pay for it. Tell me about that. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 kind of placement have you had? Where have you been? Um. So I've kind of been everywhere. Like I'm medical and surgical, pediatric, A and E. So we have like external placements and that as well. Um. I just think it's slave labor. Really. Like you know, we're working twelve hour day, like twelve hours plus really. Um. And like to get nothing for it at the end of the day, like it's just there's no incentive to stay here when we qualify and I know most people are planning to leave like they might stay here in Ireland for a year but just for experience but then you know Australia or other places like are you know mm. So some people might say and either one of you who once can take this but some people might say that when you got into the profession of nursing and entered college to do nursing you knew this would happen mm. Yeah I suppose that's true as well yeah just but, you know, COVID, like, yeah. has changed things completely, you know. 
with like staffing and just with the pressure and everything and the workload has just increased so much as well. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just changed so much recently, I think. Yeah, yeah, you'd agree there, Lucy. This is not regular placement, yeah. like this is different. Yeah, no, it is, definitely. Yeah, it's not being placed during a pandemic is much different to being placed in re- in regular times. I think the cost of living going up is is putting you both under even more pressure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Lucy. Yeah. Like yeah. what's, Neither of us are from Cork, so we're both, you know, we're both renting here. So, like, the cost of that as well is just, it's crazy. Like, so trying to pay for everything and then not get paid, you know, for when we're out in the hospital, like, it's, yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah, is it hard to keep food in the, in, in the cupboard? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you could both speak directly to the Minister for Health, if it was him here and not me, um, what would you say? Katie, you first. Um, I would say think of, like, if you, if you had sisters or, or daughters or anything, you know, I think... Because it's a female, mostly females in this profession, I do think that is a major factor in it as well. Um, and I think that, you know, like, if he wants, like, nurses to stay in Ireland, then, you know, they need to be treated fairly from day one. Yeah. Lucy, you'd echo that. Um, I think what I would say is, um, I think we just want some kind of payment. Like, personally, I don't think, like, I would be happy to say with, like, I don't know, six euro an hour, I wouldn't want minimum wage. I just want something to say that I am some way appreciated and know that, like, they recognise that we do do work. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, placement in in a pandemic isn't just going around learning from those around you. You, I mean, I remember talking to Tessa last year. You were thrust straight into the front line. She was talking. I mean, were were any of you in intensive care, like where someone might have been dying or anything like that, no? Um, I was in intensive care, but I, I was lucky really that there was—I didn't really encounter anything too severe when I was there, anyway. Good. Good. I did have one man actually on a medical ward who had COVID, and the poor man was in a bad way. Like, and it was just hard to see, you know. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to talk to him, or was he ventilated, or what? No, he couldn't. He couldn't. He was ventilated. Like, he did end up passing away, unfortunately. Like, he was—it was just hard to see, like, and hard to take care of, and everything. Would you? Would you both? I mean, I suppose going abroad was always kind of a part of being a young nurse. Any young nurse I ever spoke to, they all said, "Yeah, I went away, went away for a year or two. But you, are you guys thinking of going and, and not coming back, Katie? If yeah, if things don't change really, then yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, yeah. What's it like? I mean, Lucy, what's it like in other countries for students? Do, do you know? I haven't a notion, to be honest. Yeah. But you'd, you'd be getting out of here anyway? Yeah, no, definitely. For a while anyway, for a couple of years. Yeah, that's kind of... Everybody kind of does that at some stage, yeah. don't they? Like, have you any ideas where you'd like to go? Would you go to the UK or would you go to Australia? Where would you go? Um, I'm thinking Australia or Dubai. Dubai? Something like that. Yeah, Dubai is meant to be very good for paying stu- for paying nurses in general. Yeah, yeah, and of course it's so. 
you get the sunshine as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be nice as well. Yeah. Like, but the thing is, if it's a choice, it's a great thing. But Katie, I think in your case, you feel you, you have no choice. Yeah, I, I know. I just feel really underappreciated and feel, I just think that, like, we're, there's so much expected of us. And to just get nothing at the end of the day, I don't know how, like, they can, like, they think that, you know, there is any incentive at all for us to stay here when I just don't think there's any. Yeah. Like, you know? I mean, we were talking all last year and indeed for much of this year about frontline workers and standing up and I suppose look initially people did it they stood at their front door and they clapped their hands and banged a saucepan and there was a round yeah. of applause in the dial that must have how did that feel to have people applauding and, and you're still working for nothing well it, it didn't really change things like it was no. like, nothing changed after like you know um, it was a bit like um, just like oh pat on the back like well done that was it that's yeah. what it felt like I think for me anyway yeah, well, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Someone on the phone saying this didn't start with the pandemic. It started with Simon Harris, and even before that, the bailout, and before that again, just a casual attitude as to how important they are. And it was that casual attitude that made that made you a target for for government cuts. That you're just easy. Yeah. You're easy yeah. to target. And was it was it you were saying? Um, Katie, that you think you you think it's because there's so many women in it. Yeah, I do. I think that is a major factor because, like, like most trades or apprenticeships, I mean, most of them are paid. You know, um, like it is ninety percent women, like you know, doing nursing. Mm-hmm. And I think I definitely think that is a major factor. Yeah. Yeah. So, how how long have you both got left, Katie? How how long have you got left? So we're both in third year. So we have this year and the next year we have our internship I think I think it's January starts both children. Right. And the internship then Lucy, what's that? That's a, is that a full year on the wards? It's about six months I think on the wards you're considered a nurse yeah. and yeah. And Did you, you are paid for, for that, that then? We do, but it's minimum wage. I remember the story with that was before the pandemic they got whatever the minimum wage was, it was a tenner an hour. Then with COVID, they upped them to healthcare assistant wage, which was 14. Mm. And then once, I think, I don't know, when summer came, it went back down to 10. Right. So, not, 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 not attractive. And like, these are, these are, it's a full, and when you're on the, that, inter- are you still studying or have you still, have you done your finals at that stage? I think you've done your finals at that stage. Right. I think. I could be wrong now, but I think it, that yeah. stage, like... Someone said to me that for, before, guys, the, the worst element of it was that you finish after a very tough shift and sometimes it's a case of, right, can I afford something to eat or can I afford the bus home? And sometimes it's a choice between one and the other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, with with us, we have, we're in the same hospital and it is very close, but I have heard of that happening, that like there's a few guys in our year and they're like sent to the other side of the city and they have to get a bus and like, yeah, they can't afford. It's either the bus or a meal, like. Really? Yeah. Yeah, for after doing a 12-hour shift on, on, the wa- on, on the wards, you have to decide, can I can I eat and walk home or do I get a bus and go home hungry. 
Yeah. And that's 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 tough. That's really yeah. really tough. Um, okay, guys. Listen, uh, thank you very much. Good luck, and thank. If if no one says it to you bef- before now, I'm going to say it to you. Thank you very much for so much. what you do and what you, you continue to do under difficult circumstances. That's Lucy and Katie, both student nurses. Holiday. Okay. Ah. There you go. I beg your pardon. I got that. Yes, when I was giving out the number for succession, I beg your pardon. I had the wrong number in front of me on the piece of paper. So I now have the correct number. This is if you're entering the succession competition. Uh, you got to text A or B and your name and the word holiday to this number. It's 57080. Okay, text the word holiday and your answer A or B to 570. 80. All right. 57080. I was giving you a different number, which I don't propose to give you again. 1850 We had a couple of different and uh, comments held over on the possibility, the possibility of train services being disrupted by strike action before Christmas. Dermot O'Leary from the National Bus and Rail Union on earlier on this morning on the opinion and talking about you know, antisocial behaviour and the experience of staff on the trains and the nast really, the report out last week of the things that's happening on trains and how staff are being threatened and staff are being disrespected and staff are being spoken to in a way you wouldn't speak to anybody and they feel afraid a lot of the time, and Dermot O'Leary is saying, look, they're now consulting their members with regard to possibility of industrial action, including withdrawal of labour, if something isn't done about antisocial behaviour and mistreatment of staff on the trains. Bernie says, by going on strike, they'd only be punishing the already punished passengers, who are also the victims of the thugs. They should protest outside Dol Aaron. But on a bigger note, it is symptomatic of a larger issue. We just don't take thugs and violent hooligans seriously in this country. The guards come along and they just take names. The people involved just regard it as part of the process. We need guards, armed guards, military guards on the streets to sort it out properly. Caller says that I was inside a shopping centre. There were three youngsters, male and female, running around shouting, not wearing masks. Then I saw them inside in the toilet. The three were trying to get into the same cubicle. I just snapped and roared at them. Put on your masks. I don't know what you're doing in that toilet, but use it properly. Fairness, the masks run straight on. And the lads left, leaving the girl to use the toilet properly. Dermot is right. You often just need to see authority to know there'll be consequences. Thanks for that. The GoFundMe for Dr. Lisa Murphy now stands at 18,335, which is great. No doubt some people listening this morning have contributed, and I know she'll appreciate that. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. That's it. We're done. We're dusted. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.